This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. The Mom and Mind podcast has been a passion project for me, absolutely, for the past three years. It's been an honor to go on this journey with you and have you be a part of the Mom and Mind community. In an effort to keep our podcast strong and growing, I've now set up a Patreon page for the Mom and Mind podcast. What's a Patreon? It's basically crowdfunding, a donation platform where you can help move this podcast forward so we can continue to get these awesome episodes out to you and all of the other moms and families who deserve to know that they are not alone. Contributions can range anywhere from $2 a month up to $25 a month where you can become part of the Mom and Mind Collaborative, where as a professional, we can brainstorm together on how to get all of our voices for perinatal mental health out into the world. Come check it out at patreon.com slash momandmind. We would love to have your support to keep this mission going strong. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On this episode today, we are going to be talking with Jessica Vanderweer. She's a registered psychotherapist from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, who's passionate about supporting families. She's going to be talking with us about her experience on bed rest during pregnancy. This is an experience that quite a few women have. And it's very rarely talked about. So I'm glad to have her perspective on here. She's going to share her journey with us a little bit about what it was like to find out that she needed to be on bed rest and how it impacted her. What advice she has for other moms who are on bed rest or found out they're going to be on bed rest. And in general, how we can support mothers better. Jessica is known online for Our Mama Village, an online platform where she shares daily pieces of encouragement and support for moms and families. That page was started after Jessica went through her own difficult transition into motherhood, and she saw a need for a supportive community that moms could access anytime. In her work, Jessica supports families from preconception to working with children with mental health concerns. In her private life, she's a mom and wife and loves spending time hanging out with her now two-year-old daughter and her husband. Let's hear from Jessica. Welcome, Jess. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on the show today. 
Great. I'm happy to hear from you today about your experience on bed rest and also a little bit about what you're doing professionally to support moms and families. I know you have a huge community right now that follows you. And so we'll learn a little bit more about that later. But definitely start off with wherever you'd like to about your experience on pregnancy and bed rest. The beginning of my pregnancy was pretty normal. I had pretty bad morning sickness, but besides that, everything was looking good. Uh, Around that time, I was working full time. I worked with families that had children with challenging behaviors, and I often worked in the home. So it was a really demanding and busy job. But Mm -hmm. because everything was going good with the pregnancy, I was still working. And sometimes I'd be working up to 45, 50 hours a week just between the in-person work and all of the clinical kind of behind the scenes work. Mm -hmm. So it was really busy. And then around Christmas time, I was about 20 weeks pregnant, I started noticing that I was having some pretty bad cramping. But I kind of chalked it up to work just being really busy and just having a lot on my plate. Mm -hmm. Then my friends hosted a Christmas party. And of course, I decided I would help and just do everything with them. So I was on my feet for about 10 hours, which probably shouldn't do at um, 20 weeks pregnant, but I was feeling really good. So I just didn't even notice and was helping them set up the Christmas party and we were just really busy. And again, I kind of had the cramps, but because Mm -hmm. I was just so busy, I just didn't really notice what was going on. And then the morning after the Christmas party, I woke up really early in the morning and the cramps were getting really bad. Mm -hmm. So I said to my husband, I don't know, something doesn't feel quite right. And he said, let's just take you into the hospital. I'm sure it's nothing. We'll just get you looked at. They'll probably tell you just to take it easy mm-hmm. and you can go on with your day. So I clearly remember texting my boss at the time and just saying, hey, I'll probably be an hour late to work. This is around 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. I'm just going into the hospital just to get checked up on and I'll be at that meeting by nine. <laughs> <laughs> Famous last words. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I went into the hospital and immediately I could just sense that something was not right. Mm. and they had me hooked up to all the monitors, and they weren't really telling us anything. Mm. So that was the first kind of frustrating part of being in the hospital, is that we could tell something wasn't quite right, but no one was letting us in on what was happening. Can I ask what you were noticing that made you realize that something wasn't quite right? What were they doing or not doing? So they right away hooked me up to check the baby's heart rate and that was pretty normal. I expected that would happen. Mm -hmm. But the thing that was surprising me was they kept doing internal examinations. Mm. So I had quite a few, probably maybe four in the morning. And then they sent me down for an ultrasound and they weren't really telling me why they kept doing these examinations internally. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I didn't really realize that I actually had a say and that I could ask them why and what was going on. Oh, sure. Uh, My husband and I were just so new to the whole pregnancy world that we just kind of accepted whatever was going on in the hospital and just figured they would tell us eventually. So when I really realized something wasn't right was they sent me down one floor in the hospital where you get your ultrasounds done. And after I got my ultrasound done, I stood up to walk back upstairs and the ultrasound tech right away gave me a look and said, you need to sit down. We need to get you into a wheelchair. You're not walking upstairs. That's not happening. We need to get your husband in here and and Mm -hmm. you need to be in a wheelchair to go upstairs. And still at that point, we hadn't heard anything. We didn't know what was happening. 
Oh, wow. In your experience, you don't have any information, but it sounds like they're kind of in a rush or a bit of panic. How did that affect you? Like what was going on for you at that moment? That was the moment. So I think the whole morning we were still in a bit of a blissful blur, just not really knowing too much about things that went on in the hospital because again, we were very new to just pregnancy in general. And that was our first time in the labor and delivery ward. I had just been transferred care to an OB at that point. So I think it wasn't until that moment where she wouldn't let me walk upstairs Mm -hmm. that we really understood something, something bad was happening. And then I was very panicked. Sure. Uh, And my husband was too, because we still didn't know what was happening. And we knew it must not be good if I couldn't walk anymore. Right. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. And you still don't know what's happening. I imagine there's like going through your mind, all the possibilities of what's going on. Exactly. All the worst case scenarios are running into your head and you're just kind of expecting the worst. Uh, Um, Yeah. So that was really tough. I can still clearly remember that moment of just a feeling of lack of control for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So that's what's happening. I just think one of the things that's really fascinating to me about a lot of women's experience is the kind of disconnection between what's happening outside, like all the people around you, and especially when you don't have information, and then the difference between that and then what's happening internally, like your own process, and just trying to figure out what in the world is going on here. And I'm pretty sure that the medical providers, they are, you know, doing their best absolutely to make sure you're safe and everything's okay. But in the rush of that, boy, do they forget to tell people what's going on. It Mm -hmm. happens so often. Yeah, it definitely does. And now as a mental health professional in this field, I see it happen over and over. And I know that my experience in that way is not unique at all. It it happens very often that people don't know what's happening, which is really scary. Yeah. Yeah, it Um, is. It is. Okay. So going back into your experience, what happened next? So then we went back upstairs and again, still didn't know what was going on, had to wait for the results of the ultrasound, had a couple more physical examinations, which just seems to become a part of my story kind of from here on out is getting these physical examinations Okay. without really informed consent, just kind of being told that they need to do that. Mm. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods.
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. And then later, a few hours later, we finally found out what was going on. They told me I had something called incompetent cervix, okay, which is an awful name that basically means yeah. that <laughs> my friends and I still laugh about how horrible of a name that is to tell a woman who's pregnant. The cervix is incompetent. Oh, yeah, that is um, terrible. <laughs> so that was an explanation for what was going on. And they said that I was showing signs of preterm labor and that I had started to dilate. Wow. Um, okay. So at that time, I wasn't in labor anymore. The cramping had stopped. Everything was okay, but I was still at a dilated state. So at this point, had they given you any medication or anything like that? Or They hadn't done any medication. They had said that the cramping or the contractions, whatever it was, kind of stopped when I had gotten in in the morning. But they were checking on the dilation to make sure that I was not getting dilated more throughout the day. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so... Then they told you what was going on, and then what happened? From there, we talked to another OB that was at the hospital, kind of next steps. We had to figure out what we were going to do with this information. And it was then that she had said to me that I would need to be on bed rest, specifically because my job was really demanding and Mm -hmm. busy and stressful and all these things. And it was really important for me that I just rest my body, don't send it back into labor by doing anything that was stressful and really she had said try and take any pressure off the cervix so at that point she had recommended to me that I go on bed rest and then a few days later come back in and check with my own OB because this was just an on-call OB at the hospital and make a plan from there Mm -hmm. so we did that I went back three days later and that OB had me checked again and had said that the only thing that she could recommend, and even though they don't know how effective bed rest really is, that was the only thing she could really recommend at the time Mm. was to stay on bed rest with my feet up. And if any more cramping or if anything else happened, then I would have to come back into the hospital and stay at the hospital for the rest of the pregnancy. So. That was scary enough to be like, okay, I'll lay down and I'll put my feet up. (laughs) Sure. And you said you're how many weeks along at that point? I was 22 weeks along at that point. Okay. Okay. So that's all pretty scary. You're halfway through pregnancy, a little more. And the kind of alternate option is to be in the hospital the whole time. Yeah. If you're not able to do it at home. So what was your specific instructions for bed rest? Did you need to stay in there all day? What were you allowed to do or not allowed to do? Yeah, so at first I had to stay in bed or on the couch. So I stayed on the couch with my feet up all day. 
And we had kind of landmarks that I had to get to. So the first was 28 weeks. They said, let's just get you to 28 weeks. Mm -hmm. And then the baby will have more of a chance if you went into labor, have more of a chance of survival. And so at that point, all I could get up was to go to the bathroom and maybe take a really quick shower and then lay back down. Mm, So that was the instruction then. And then every kind of milestone, I had a little more freedom. But basically until about 34 weeks, it was that. Like I was laying with my feet up and then I could go to the bathroom or take a quick shower and then I'd have to lay back down. And then after 34 weeks, they got more flexible with what I was able to do. So between 22 and 34 weeks, you're on the couch pretty much. Yes. What does that do to you both physically and mentally? Yeah. So that was a really big shift for me. I told you about how I was before having bed rest and I was probably a bit of a workaholic. So I worked all the time. I was really busy. I loved my job. I was really invested in it. So to go from that to being what I felt, I was just kind of a body. Uh So going from that to just laying on the couch all of the time without and to work right away. And I totally understand this, but work right away said you need to be done. Like no more emailing clients or, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to wrap things up. You just need Mm -hmm. to be done. You need to focus on the baby, which was fine. But then I had all of a sudden nothing to do. So that was really hard on me mentally to go from feeling like I had purpose to feeling like I was kind of just a body and being on a couch all day without a lot of social interaction was really tough. Yeah. Did you notice any feelings of depression or anxiety or anything like that showing up while you had to just kind of sit there? I noticed the feelings of anxiety definitely showing up. When I finally kind of stopped working and I was just sitting on the couch and I didn't have really anyone else to talk to because my husband was working he would have to leave for work at 6 a.m. and he'd come back around 6 p.m. Mm. And I don't have family in the area. Okay, wow. Yeah. It was really long days alone. Thankfully, I had friends that would try and visit as much as they could, but it was mostly me by myself. So there was a lot of time to be anxious about things. And so I definitely noticed anxiety started coming up. And any little feeling that I would have in my body would start to trigger those feelings of anxiety and I would often feel like I had to go back to the hospital. So I did Mm. quite a few times just to make sure everything was okay. Sure. And and I think anxiety more so because it was confirmed that I had this incompetent cervix. So my previous anxiety was already confirmed that it definitely made it worse. Yeah, that's really challenging. And then you're you're just, I mean, there's only so much, I don't know, TV you can watch or books you can read. And after a certain point, I'm sure that gets hard to distract yourself from those worries. Definitely. So one thing I did that I think was really helpful for me. So as much as things were hard, there was a lot of things that I tried to do to kind of set myself up so that it wasn't awful. As I was already a counselor then, so I was thinking with my counselor mind, how can I make this the best for myself as possible? So I didn't watch a lot of Netflix, and I tried to have a really clear schedule for myself. Mm. And I think that helped me a lot in that I would still try and get out of bed at a normal time and go to my other bed, the couch. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would not just be in my own bed all day, so that way Mm. that was still reserved for sleeping at night. Oh, great. I would try and read books. Friends would bring books and I would try and read those. Or I took an online course during that time just to give my mind something to do. So those types of things that were able to fill my day so that it wasn't just me kind of sitting there, that really helped. And I 
definitely would recommend that to anyone who's listening who's on bed rest is to find something that gives you purpose and meaning to make it that much easier. Yeah. Right. Especially like you were saying, being so busy before and going just to a full stop almost, you really do have to get creative on how to fill that space and time. Yeah, exactly. So I really think that one of the best things I did for myself was enroll in an online course. Mm -hmm. As much as when you're, you know, 25 weeks pregnant, you don't really want to be doing school. (laughs) It gave me deadlines and it gave me a reason to do something and it used my brain so that I wasn't just sitting there watching the office all day, which (laughs) was the first couple weeks of bed rest. And I got sick of that pretty quick. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. But you got all seasons. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. So up to 34 weeks, I think, is where we left off kind of on the journey. And what happened from there on? So at 34 weeks, they told me I was allowed to do the dishes, which made me so happy. (laughs) And the OB was laughing. She's like, I have never seen someone so happy to do the dishes. But (laughs) that's a real pet peeve of mine when they're not done. So I was super excited about that. So I was able to get up for about 20 minutes at a time. And Mm -hmm. so I could make myself some food, which was nice. Mm. and do the dishes and maybe just do a few simple things. Mm -hmm. That was good. And I still had to spend the majority of the time on the couch, but at least then I felt like I had little pockets where I could feel like I was being productive and being myself again. Sure. That's so important. That's Mm -hmm. so important, especially just in this transition that you're already in to becoming a parent, to really be able to stay connected to some parts of yourself. Yeah, exactly. So that was really big for me being able to do that. I remember at that time, my husband, because I still wasn't able to walk around really or anything, Mm -hmm. but the OB approved me to go in the car and put the seat as far as I could back. And my husband was able to drive me around. So in order to get out of the house for the first time, and it was a few months then, he would just drive me around town and I would have the seat reclined and just look out the window and even just simple things like that that I used to take completely for granted because I would all the time. Those were my little pockets of joy that really helped make those days a little bit easier. That's great. It sounds like you found a lot of really great ways to cope. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then this was all the way up until birth. Mm -hmm. So I still went full term, which was kind of funny, kind of an answer to prayer, kind of surprising to everybody. Yeah. So I still made it full term, which was great. And my birth was okay, considering how weak I was after Mm -hmm. physically just not moving your body for that long. Right. But everything with birth went okay, but the anxiety definitely stayed. And so then that was a whole other set of challenges was trying to figure out life kind of after bed rest. Mm, Okay. Right. What are the things that you noticed about your postpartum and the anxiety specifically? So I noticed that during pregnancy on those days when I was on bed rest, and now I know what they're called. I know that it was intrusive thoughts. But at the time, I would have really crazy thoughts of dropping my baby or my baby falling and hitting their head on our tile floor. And I didn't know what that was Mm -hmm. at the time. And so those kind of intrusive thoughts continued into the postpartum experience. And I also had this need to do everything again. So I think, and that was something I was unprepared for. And I didn't know anyone that had been through bed rest that could have prepared me for that. Uh 
when your freedom is completely taken away from you and your body. And like I said, I kind of had just felt like a body for those four months. Right. All of a sudden you have your baby. Now you feel like you need to do everything that you couldn't do for all of those months that you're on bed rest. Right. Wow. Yeah. I can so imagine the, that urge now that you have your kind of mobility back. So my mindset was kind of like, I've rested enough because <laughs> I was resting for four months. Mm-hmm. Now that I have this baby, I want to do things. And mm-hmm. so instead of resting in that postpartum period, which was really what my body needed, mm-hmm. I decided just to try and do everything. So I was walking every day. Mm-hmm. I was walking like five kilometers a day. Mm-hmm. And I was visiting every friend and driving uh, an hour and a half to visit my family all the time and just doing everything because I couldn't for so long. And I also felt as though I couldn't ask for help because I had Mm. already asked for help for four months on bed rest. Oh no. And I had amazing family and friends who were so willing to help me for those four months that now that I had the baby, I felt like, okay, now I need to just take care of all of this by myself because they've already burned out from helping so much. Mm. So those, was that something that you thought they were burned out or were people expressing that they were burned out? It was in my own mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once I eventually had to, because I burned myself out and mm-hmm. became just incredibly anxious from doing these things. Yeah. Once I eventually asked them for help, they were willing to help the whole time. But it was in my own mind that because I had asked for help for so long that I didn't want to do that anymore. Oh, yeah, that's hard. That's really rough. Okay, so how long, well, I don't know if you can remember, but how long do you think it took you to ask for that help after birth? I think I can remember pretty clear. It was about, I think, four months postpartum when my daughter, yeah, it was a while. And that's not to say I didn't have help. I I did, but I did feel this need that I had to do it all myself. Yeah, I see. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was about four months postpartum and my daughter was going through Uh, sleep regression and she didn't sleep well from the day she was born so she was going through a sleep regression and at that point realized that I was very anxious and getting depressed as well Mm -hmm. and I know you've had so many women on your show talk about this but same thing happened to me where I went to the doctor and told the doctor how I felt and I was told that I looked too good to be Mm -hmm. anxious or depressed gosh Uh, yeah I mean Uh. That's really it's so frustrating. frustrating. Yeah. yeah. Because you can tell. Apparently, you're supposed to be able to tell things by looking at people. Yeah, right. Oh, we know now that's not true. Yeah, it was so frustrating even at the time because I went in, I had makeup on, and I guess mm-hmm. my hair was done, and he just said people who have postpartum depression aren't able to pull themselves together like that. So that wow. tells me that it's just normal, normal new mom struggles. Mm-hmm. Did they actually ask you any other questions other than just look at you? Nope, that was it. Ah, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, you know what? In hindsight, <laughs> I'm thankful that that happened because that is part of what fuels me now for the work that I'm doing. Sure. I know we're going to get there, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So after that, I still knew something wasn't right. So I talked to my family and my friends and my husband, and I got a lot of social support. They helped take my daughter so that I could sleep. And from there, I ended up getting therapy and help and support and started feeling better. But getting that sleep deprived and that depressed was kind of the tipping point for what made me go out and seek some help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you were able to look past what that particular doctor said. And not that all mm-hmm. doctors will do that, but, you know, when you know something's not right, it's either easy to get kind of feel disempowered by that kind of response from a medical professional or get really angry and go, go <laughs> yeah. find help somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great. Okay. So you got therapy and started feeling better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started feeling better and it was pretty quick actually, which I think that's the really hopeful part for any moms that are struggling is that it doesn't always take that long to start mm-hmm. feeling better. Sure. So really once I started getting some good sleep and I had mm-hmm. that support around the sleep and just even feeling normalized and feeling like I wasn't the only one, the only new mom to feel the way that I was feeling. Right. By six months, I was feeling a lot better. Oh, that's so good. Mm-hmm. That's really great. Right. Cause this can last so long mm-hmm. if you don't get that sleep and that help. That's really yeah. great. So yeah, looking back on your experience, it sounds like it did a couple of things. It kind of helped you, launched you into how you support mothers now and gave you some really, really good perspective on how to help other moms. Yeah, exactly. So it was about a few months later and I was thinking about going back to work. What would that look like? I knew I couldn't go back to the job that I was doing just because it was too demanding. And now that mm-hmm. I had a child, it mm-hmm. just it wasn't going to work. And I remember my husband and I were on a plane. We were going on a vacation. We were going to Florida and we were just talking. And I was like, I feel like I have to work with mothers because mm-hmm. how is it that I'm a counselor and didn't know any of this mm-hmm. before having Amelia, our daughter? Right. And it doesn't seem right that someone who has eight years of education in mental health wasn't prepared at all <laughs> for mm-hmm. what this would look like. And mm-hmm. so he agreed and he's like, I see that this is a huge need. And so from there, I started taking all the trainings that I could take and just mm-hmm. learning all I could learn and started specializing in this field. Great. Yeah. So, and you're doing so much now. You have a huge mm-hmm. community. Tell us a little bit more about that and also how you're supporting other moms. For sure. So I started a Facebook page. It was called Our Mama Village. It is still called that. Mm-hmm. So I started Our Mama Village. And what my vision was for that Facebook page, and now it's on Instagram as well, was a place where moms could go and they could feel like they weren't alone. Because when I was on bed rest and during pregnancy, it wasn't that glowing pregnancy that I had imagined that I'd have. And then into the postpartum, it was full of anxiety. And Mm -hmm. there was lots of pockets of joy, but it wasn't what I had seen on Facebook. And as a mom, and I didn't know a lot of other moms that could have told me that, you know, it was hard for them too. I wanted to create a space that was encouraging. So it didn't depress moms more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it offered hope and encouragement and support, but it helped moms know that they weren't alone. Fantastic. And that's where our mama village started from. And very quickly after starting to post things on there, it grew really quickly because moms were looking for it. And similar to you, they're looking for that information to know that they're not alone and to feel encouraged in what they're going through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's fantastic. And the more resources like this we can have, the better because, you know, there's only so far that the internet can take you. But um, when, you know, when people catch on to what you're doing and then share it with other people, then it can grow. And it really is, other moms sharing, but then also having their own kind of support groups or their own Facebook pages or really however the message can get out is how it needs to get out. 
Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think social media too. I mean, I didn't talk about this too much, but when I was on bed rest, that was a place that really fueled my anxiety and just made mm-hmm. me feel more anxious because, mm-hmm. you know, you just see these beautiful pregnant glowing moms everywhere or right. same thing with sleeping babies everywhere. And you just think mm-hmm. I'm the only one. So I, right. if you know, moms are already on social media, if you can provide that safe place for them to be messy and mm-hmm. still have encouragement, then it can be really powerful. Right. That's fantastic. So now when you're supporting moms on bed rest, what kinds of advice do you give them? Yeah, for sure. I have, I think from living it out and then from supporting lots of different moms on bed rest, there's a few things that I think is really important. The first thing I think is to be gentle on yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I really had to learn and more that I learned after going through the process, but that you didn't make this happen and Mm -hmm. that you're allowed to be compassionate towards yourself and not blame yourself for getting into this situation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's a big one. Yeah. I think myself, I know I was so hard on myself and I know really any mom in that situation, it's so easy to blame yourself. But it's important to know that we don't want this to happen. We didn't make this happen. and We love our child. Yeah, absolutely. And how about for the mom who kind of just found out she was on bed rest? Mm-hmm. So a couple of just quick things. First, I think it's really important to find something that gives you meaning every day. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was taking an online course. It gave me a reason to get out of bed onto the couch bed in the morning and had deadlines. It just gave me something to do to take my mind off what was happening. I mean, it sounds great watching Netflix all day, but like I said, that gets really old. And I think that can lead to feeling really depressed if you don't have a purpose, if you don't have something that you're doing every day. Yeah. So even starting a blog or just start something that gives you something to do. Something else that I found really helpful was talking to my baby. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. trying to find those ways to connect with your child and viewing it as the special time that you guys have together where you can form that bond and connect. So that's something that I found really helpful was just talking to my baby. And it felt like I wasn't alone because she was there with me. Yeah, that's great. Something else I think is really important, and I talked about this already, is making a schedule for your day. So deciding when you're going to wake up, when you're going to eat lunch, when you're going to go to bed. Again, that way it feels like not every day just rolls into the next day. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That seems really important. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause they do, they do just roll into the next day. You're kind of doing some similar stuff, but it sounds like having that structure for your day can kind of chunk it up a little bit and help you get through those next couple of hours. Exactly. And along with that, I think having something every week that you can look forward to that, you know, even if it was just we're having friends come over and we're going to play Settlers of Contan on Friday night while I'm laying on the couch, right? Those little pockets of joy, that's what helped get me through those long weeks because I knew that there was always something to look forward to. Oh, that's Um, fantastic. That's great advice. That looking forward to things is really important. mm -hmm. Because if you're only focused on, let's say, the date you're trying to get to in terms of your pregnancy, then that's all you focus on. But having other little things along the way to grab your attention and bring you joy seems really, really important. Yeah, exactly. Because if you're like me and you're going, you know, 28 weeks, now I got to make it to 32, 
those weeks in between can feel so long and every day you're like is this the day I go into labor like you Mm -hmm. don't know what that day Mm -hmm. is going to bring so having something else to look forward to and be excited about can really help kind of change how that feels fantastic yeah hello you sentient ball of stardust my name is Casey Davis I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book how to keep house while drowning where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids, because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I just had a couple more. Sure. So another thing I think is really important, and this is something now I'm working on with Our Mama Village is trying to seek out professional support, even if you can't go out physically and see them. Mm -hmm. So online therapy is a great option. I think it's really, really helpful just to try and set the stage for success as as best you can. And even if that means you're meeting with a therapist once every two weeks online, at least you're connecting and you're getting yourself prepared for postpartum instead of waiting until all those feelings come up when you're two months postpartum like me. Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's so important. I mean, being proactive as much as possible, but mm-hmm. I really think if you haven't been through this before, it's hard to know how to be proactive. Exactly. And I think there's such a lack of education out there. And even for me, in my whole bed rest, postpartum, the whole journey, I was never once asked, like, how are you doing with your mental health? Or, are you okay? Uh-huh. So I think, you know, for the people listening, and I know the people listening to your podcast are really good at this, but checking in with those moms be like how are you doing mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to be on the couch every single day mm-hmm. how are you coping with that can I help you yeah um, and especially for professionals and knowing that you're more than just a body housing a baby there's mm-hmm. a mom in there <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely yeah that online therapy is really a great option I know you're in Ontario Canada mm-hmm. so I'm assuming that you guys have some networking up there If there's moms in Canada who are listening, certainly, yeah, there's resources there available and same here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so many great online therapists that do this work that I found out about now. And I just think it's so important to know that 
just because you're on bed rest and physically can't get somewhere that you can still get the help and you can still feel supported. Yeah. Yeah. That's really important. Fantastic. Great. Thank you for your story and for all of these tips and tricks. I really do appreciate it because like I mentioned before, if we don't know what's available to us, it's hard to come up with stuff in the moment when we're dealing with it. Having this information before we need it is so crucial. So I really thank you for that and would love for you to give us any other information about what you're offering to moms out there. For sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for opening up this conversation. I really hope that someone listening, if they're on bed rest or know someone on bed rest can really feel more supported and not alone in that journey. Yeah. Um, Right now. So I'm still running Our Mama Village and like Dr. Pat, like you were saying, it's grown quite a bit since the time that I originally started it, which was about a year and a half ago. So I'm on there on Instagram, on Facebook. Every day we're posting encouraging notes and education for moms so that they know that they're not alone in motherhood and it's all free information and support so definitely check us out there we'd love to have you join our village on there and right now I'm currently working on and hoping in the next couple weeks to have this out our first online course so this will be a yeah I'm really really excited it's been a long time in the making Mm -hmm. so this will be a course for pregnant moms for new moms about anxiety and it's not treatment so it's not a replacement for therapy but it's an educational course teaches moms about anxiety what it is signs and symptoms not necessarily postpartum anxiety but just any type of anxiety that I think every mom faces in the postpartum period sure and we give strategies that they can use to set the stage for success like I've been talking about so how to be preventative about anxiety, and then also some mindfulness strategies and grounding strategies that they can really practically apply to their lives if they are going through their own kind of journey in anxiety. Great. That sounds like an awesome resource. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really excited about it because it's online, and I think Moms on Bed Rest could take this, and we're keeping it pretty short so that it doesn't take you too long to finish it, and it doesn't feel overwhelming. But we really hope it's just an easy, practical way to get some effective tools to help reduce anxiety in motherhood. Awesome. I mean, even like you said, even for people who don't have a clinical diagnosis of postpartum anxiety or related anxiety conditions, there's anxiety. I don't know if I've met any mom who's like, nope, I'm good all the time. (laughs) That's exactly it. And that's why we chose anxiety because, you know, I'm a mom. I counsel moms. I have mom friends. Every single mom has anxiety to some degree. And so this course is not for the person who, I mean, it's not a replacement for treatment. So it's not the only course of action for someone with postpartum anxiety, Mm -hmm. but it's something that can be really easy to take, really manageable, bite-sized, just to give you some simple strategies to help you feel better and enjoy motherhood. Wow. That's what it's about, right? Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. If we can help everybody do that, then we'd all be in such a good spot. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and for the resources and sharing your story. I'm so glad to share this with the listeners. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica, for sharing your experience and these really great resources with us. For those of you who would like to find out more about Our Mama Village, you can go to ourmamavillage.com or find Our Mama Village on Instagram or Facebook. 
For those of you who are new to the Mom and Mind podcast, please do subscribe and share this as far and as wide as possible so that all moms and families can know that they are not alone and get the information that they deserve before they need it. Thanks so much. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.